in a world with increasing noise, the question has to be asked, like, who gets to tell their story? And how do we access stories that aren't usually heard? Well, part of that is through literature, through writing, through the arts. We're very excited about today's guest. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, we are so happy to have here in uh, the Metaphysical Reading Room, Wendy Ballou. She's executive director and founder of Reforming Arts. Thank you so much for being here, Wendy. Well, thank you for inviting me. Now, can you tell us a little bit, for those who don't know about, what Reforming Arts is all about? Mm -hmm. Reforming Arts offers what we call theater-infused higher education in um, facilities for women, uh, prison facilities for women in Georgia. And we've been, we started out doing theater, mm -hmm. uh, two theater classes at Leonardale State Prison about nine years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, and we, in 2013, we expand, or 2012, we expanded those classes to humanities classes, um, women's studies, and American studies spe specifically. Mm. And then um, at that point, we were just bringing people in to do kind of workshops. And now we have a 47 credit hour um, certificate through Reforming Arts on, it's basically the first year of college. Mm. Um, and starting in hopefully January, we're working on a um, partnership or we're working on a memorandum understanding with the Department of Corrections mm -hmm. with a partnership with Reforming Arts wow. and Georgia State University Perimeter College, the prison um, prison education, uh, Georgia State University prison uh, education and uh, project. Oh. I'm sorry, I guess no. I murdered their name, <laughs> but it's uh, <laughs> a long one. <laughs> anyway, so within those, um, the it, the program will take two years, mm -hmm. and we'll be at Whitworth uh, Women's Facility, mm -hmm. uh, and we will um, within that the women will, will the people will get. 30 credit hours mm -hmm. through Georgia State, oh. and they will be enrolled at Georgia State, so they will have already taken their testing and all of that. So if they if they get out before they graduate with that program, they'll still be already uh, students at Georgia Perimeter wow. and can just transfer campuses. Wow, so, you, so it started, it sounds like it started really modestly. Right. So how did, how did you even jump in? Yeah. Uh, I felt, you know, I have a unique background from that. I, uh, my, my father's been in prison for 30 years and, uh, I was really angry about that for a long time. And I will say 30 years this time, mm -hmm. uh, and I'm 44 mm -hmm. and he has been in and out of prison, mostly in yeah. my whole life. Mm -hmm. And, um, I had a lot of anger and shame around that. Mm -hmm. And again, a little before I started in the prisons, I just felt called to, I visited him. That was a transformative experience. Um, and he's in Texas mm -hmm. and I hadn't seen him in 33 years at wow. that point. Wow. So that was uh, an interesting experience. And then a couple months later, I just felt compelled, you know, or if, if I'm in a religious setting, I'll say I, I felt called yeah. Yeah. to do something in the prisons. And that's basically all the message I had. And I was very resistant to that. Mm -hmm. And um, really, 
as I thought about it, you know, felt drawn to the women's prisons. I thought that meant chapelcy. I thought mm-hmm. that meant yeah. I would go to seminary. But I was in, I had just began um, coursework in my second master's. And I was like, well, before I do a third master's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let me see. And I called around and, and figured it out. And, some, and my undergraduate's in theater. So somebody suggested, why don't you teach mm. a theater class? And oh, I was yeah. like, oh, well, I haven't directed in... 15 years and I haven't, you know, uh, uh, ever taught, but yeah. sure, let me go do that. <laughs> <Why not? laughs> and so I did. And from that first day, I knew that I didn't ever want to work for the state, the Department of Corrections as an employee, Yeah. that I did not want to be a chaplain, mm-hmm. but that the theater class was where I was always supposed wow. to be. Mm-hmm. And I was 35 years old at that time. Amazing. What was it, can you, and this may be hard to describe, but what was it about that day that, that made you realize that? Well, you know, everything went wrong. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's how any good story starts, right, yeah. Right. <laughs> so, Definitely. you know, basically I was met at the front by the, with the, chap, by the chaplain, and she mm-hmm. escorted me down to the room, and then she left me there. Wow. And I've gone through my uh, training, mm-hmm. uh, which was a four-hour four training about, you know, the things to be afraid of in mm-hmm. prison and so and i so i set up the room and i set it up in a uh a u shape and yeah. then i was like i was sitting on in front of the desk on the desk being mm-hmm. the cool teacher and everything yeah people come in and uh this one woman looks at me very large woman with kind of wild hair sticking up and she said why are you afraid of us are you afraid of us and i was like i was thinking I said no, and I was thinking, well, I wasn't until now. I'm kind of afraid <laughs> Whenever of Whenever someone asks me that, yeah. I'm like, oh, I should be. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, you know, I was thinking, I was being real open. I was, you know. Yeah. And to her, I was, I had separated myself from them. Oh, so yeah. then I went over mm. and I sat, you know, at the tables oh, wow. with them. And, uh, you know, I had prepared. I had used a text called uh, Head First Acting. Mm-hmm. And the reason I liked that one and in the theater exercises is because it did every exercise in three steps. It mm. started with step one and it said, and the author said, every time, you know, whether it's middle schoolers or, you know, whatever um, group I do this in, this is how they respond. Yeah. And then, so when they respond this way, you go to step two. And then when they respond this way, you go to step three. And I was like, oh, okay. So I planned out three, <laughs> you know, two hours of, of exercises based on three steps. Mm-hmm. So I did the first one and they went directly to step three. <laughs> and I did the second exercise and they went directly to step three. <laughs> and I did a third exercise. And you know where this is going. <laughs> and so yeah. 30 minutes into that, we were done. Yeah, (laughs) and I was smiling and I was like this is great y'all are so advanced but I was really thinking what's going on yeah you know why is this happening Mm -hmm. and um so then that led me to start and that really was it was not just that there was this instant I felt instantly comfortable Mm -hmm. in this place with these people it was what's going on here Mm. and why and wow. I need to know. And so then I started researching prison theater and because oh. uh, I had no idea. I didn't know what de- uh, applied or devised theater was. We didn't mm-hmm. study that when mm-hmm. I was in undergrad in the mm-hmm. early 90s. And so even though it was pretty big th- there and then in, in Brazil. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, 
I really went in blind and um, have it been on this really deep learning journey ever since. And uh, it's been fascinating. Yeah. So I'm I'm I've started reading plays recently because I really liked Sam Shepard. Mm-hmm. I read a novel by him and then started reading some plays and then there's a high school student I work with who's into plays. But what what kind of do you bring like regular scripts mm-hmm. to produce or mm-hmm. how like what kind of plays mm-hmm. what kind of theater works with So we inmates? what we you know and that's that was originally my question was what works and people were like well what's your goal everything works mm-hmm. you know yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so a lot of theaters a lot of people do uh, what they they've coined uh, Shakespeare behind bars mm. and we don't do that and you know there's some critique of that whereas it helps people tap into the emotions and stuff like that that you know that that's a uh, colonizing you mm. know huh. ki- kind of yeah. you know genre that we keep alive yeah, yeah. Um, I actually brought in, you know, some scripts and, uh, we, at first we read some stuff and then we decided, I decided, oh, here's this, uh, play about, um, Anastasia and we, and it was like around a trial or something and they enjoyed it. But about, I don't know, four weeks in, Mm -hmm. they said, um, they elected, a spokesperson mm-hmm. and the spokesperson <laughs> said and they all seemed so tense and they said Wendy um, we really like the play but we are really and at this point let me stop back. at this point the you know it was theater class it was only theater mm-hmm. class there was no like education prerequisite or anything so we yeah. had a huge range of mm-hmm. literacy in mm-hmm. the in the room and it was a minimum security facility then, and this was at Lee Arendelle. And so, uh, 100% of the people in that class um, were addicted to some kind of substance when they entered prison. Okay. 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 So, um, they were like, Wendy, we are really concerned about the memorization. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, you can do it. And they're like, we want to write our own play. And I was like, but that's step 10. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> <laughs> we're on step one but to them writing their own show mm. devising their own show was going to be so much easier yeah. than memorizing these lines and yeah. I said okay whatever and I said hey let's keep this theme so the first play we wrote was around um, a court case and they just kind of compiled their different stories and I learned so much and uh and that's really what led me to do, you know, in my academic studies, because I've, I'm currently, uh, I've finished the master's in American studies a long time ago, mm-hmm. and then I moved on to a PhD in qualitative research, mm-hmm. art, arts-based qualitative research, mm-hmm. and that's what spurred that was because from that play, without doing any interviews or anything, I learned so much about how you know, public defenders work and and, mm. and this population's um, perception of that. Huh. Yeah. Because, you know, this, this public defender that they created was walked in, didn't know their name, didn't have the right file, was drunk, passed out during the trial. And I was like, yep, 
y'all are exaggerating, right? Of course they were exaggerating, but you know, it was a common experience, mm-hmm. yeah. a common experience among the students yeah. of having this really horrible public defender. Mm-hmm. Wow. And that was, I learned so much. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, and it was fun. So. <laughs> Can you share a little bit more about a learning experience along the way? You mentioned that, but then mm-hmm. you said early on when you first started, you didn't really know what you were doing. Mm-hmm. And as you were learning, you learned more about like the criminal justice system right, and right. ways to help reform. Can you share a little bit about maybe what you've learned or mm-hmm. a lot of the, the mm-hmm. needs there and yeah. a lot of what, what you're doing, how that's kind of helping in meeting those needs? Right, right. Well, you know, of course, first I really delve deep into trying to learn about uh, the history of the criminal justice mm. system, and specifically the history of women in prison, yeah. and really tried, you know, was really looking for, you know, a lot of research on women in prison. And what I quickly found there is that there's a couple books from the 1960s, mm-hmm. and that's about it. <laughs> oh, <interesting>. <laughs> right? yeah, oh, my goodness. Right? And so, and what's disturbing about that, you know, and it's because, uh, largely because, you know, we think of, when we think of people in prison, we think of black men in prison, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um, which is a huge problem, mm-hmm. but um, 50%, you know, they represent 50% of the people in prison, and that is really disproportionate, mm-hmm. but uh, I think we kind of have it in our heads, and we we equal criminal. You know, we've kind of equaled. We're kind of continuing that equation in our head that black people are criminals yeah. mm-hmm. by having that in our head, and that's just it's not the case. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there are a lot more men in prison than there are women in prison, but women in prison over like. The increase from like, you know, early, late 70s to like 2010 of people in prison went up like 400 and something percent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For women, it went up 800 and something percent. Wow. Right. Uh, It's the fastest growing population. Uh, It's it's growing at twice the rate of any other population. Mm -hmm. And um, just really studying what, what that is, it, it was a combination of this, you know, war on poverty, um, uh, war on welfare, you mm-hmm. know, this idea of the, um, and the war on drugs, and this yeah. idea of the, um, that Reagan came up, uh, you know, created of the welfare queen, mm-hmm. and how, you know, all these people have been swept up into this. Mm-hmm. And so, um, trying to you know maybe there were like what i was finding there's maybe there was one or two articles about a specific women's prison or um one an aspect like Mm -hmm. the drug issues yeah yeah. right um or things like that but there's really not that much Mm -hmm. on you know comprehensive about women in prison um so that was interesting yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. and that really said oh again this is where you need to stay wow. you know this is this is what you need to do mm-hmm. um also um i delved deeply into what is i realized there was a genre mostly in the uk mm-hmm. around prison theater and that i didn't have to create you know recreate anything i learned about 
um, device theater. I learned uh, about Pedagogy of the Oppressed, which was uh, mm. Paulo Freire, Freire, I always say mm -hmm. his name wrong, and uh, and then Augusto Boal, who kind of took those concepts, the Pedagogy of the Oppressed, and made them into um, theater. Mm. Um, and then I started introducing those things mm. into that, that, you know, device theater into this, because the students asked me to, yeah. right? And learning how to do that and realized a lot of those exercises uh, did not work from a feminist perspective mm -hmm. and then started thinking through that and trying to think through these kind of things from a feminist perspective. Has the treatment of that or concern for that sort of uh, uh, arisen in the public consciousness since mm. you started or is it still kind of like that where people aren't thinking or yeah. talking about except in an exploitive manner? Right. So... I mean, everything has changed since I've started, right? Yeah, there was sure. There was hardly anything being written, you know. There's mm -hmm. been major books that have come out since I started doing oh, this. Right. You know, Michelle Alexander's mm -hmm. uh, book came out, mm -hmm. and that got has gotten a lot of attention. And also, though, it has, you know, people thinking about uh, nonviolent crime and mm -hmm. drug crimes, and, yeah. you know, that, that those are the folks that we should really be concerned about, and that mm -hmm. that would... Mm -hmm cure our criminal justice system, but it wouldn't, Yeah. right? And, you know, most of my students are violent offenders, and most of my students are in for life yeah. um, or very long sentences. Mm -hmm. And so we still kind of have it in our head that, you know, um, we should be, like, you know, to me, the way, number one way to reduce recidivism is, is to send people that have been arrested for a drug crime to rehab not prison yeah never send them to prison never yeah. put them in the system yeah right Absolutely. uh uh but then really we need to look at how we think about violent crimes because mm -hmm. actually people a lot of times if you talk to folks who say oh yeah i would hire somebody with a nonviolent crime hmm. a drug addict is so much more likely to um can you know go back to drugs mm -hmm. because especially if they just went to prison mm -hmm. because they did not receive any rehab in mm -hmm. prison over that drug you yeah. know that addiction a person that has killed somebody is very unlikely to kill anyone else you know yeah. there is a very small percentage of our population that are serial violent offenders mm -hmm. And that's a com you know completely different thing. That's serious. My father is a serial violent offender. Mm -hmm. I understand that we have to do something about that. Mm -hmm. yeah. But um, this idea that um, people that are in prison because someone else has lost their life in some way and that they are super dangerous is just not true. Huh. Yeah. So when you started observing this in the field, right, mm -hmm. working with people. Was there literature or books that kind of helped put the picture together for you? Um, around those kind of things, not not really. Not really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, but again, like I said, m there has been more and more articles. There's been, yeah. you know, uh, more education programs that are getting highlighted. There's the mm -hmm. podcast Earworm that comes out of... Um, uh, San Quentin mm -hmm. um, of people that are in, incarcerated wow. um, and you know national organizations that have popped up people you know actually trying to fund 
programs like ours uh, to, and wow. you know, the possibility of Pell Grants coming back into prisons. It's been a huge cultural shift over these last nine years. And you know, part of it, I do think, was motivated and started by um, cost. Mm. realizing that you know it was out of control yeah and part of it i think after a while really it really if the new york times starts writing articles about these things then people start noticing mm-hmm. right wow. yeah mm-hmm. can you share a little bit more i know we talked about people like who are in prison but those that leave the prison you mentioned mm-hmm. that there's this continual kind of fear like if someone mm-hmm. is a violent offender there's this fear of mm-hmm. that happening afterwards and it seems mm-hmm. like and I think a lot of people can notice that, like, once someone served their time, I feel mm-hmm. like they're still serving their time. They're still right. being punished for right. a crime they committed. Mm-hmm. Um, can you share what your what what Forming Arts does? As far as I know, you said you work a lot with people that are mm-hmm. in for life for, for a very long time. But right. what about those that do do get to leave? Can you share right. about how so, how that serves mm-hmm. them as well? So the life sentence in Georgia, some some st- people are under a seven year sentence, and mm-hmm. that was a long time ago. Some people are under a 14 year, mm-hmm. you know, before they can come up for parole for consideration. Yeah. And some of those folks are still in prison. And about, I don't know, 12 years or so ago, we changed um, the a life sentence to you don't come up for parole for 30 yeah. years. So we have, yeah. I have students that are under all of those different yeah. types of sentences. And so recently, uh, this year, a lot of women um, or people that live in women's prisons mm-hmm. that are um, l- under life sentences have been released, mm-hmm. and um, several that have done over 30 years. And um, so what we see, and then other folks that, um, I've been doing it long enough now that some of my students that were in prison for a very long time are out of prison. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yes, they are continuing to be punished mm-hmm. for, you know, what they did. And there's, um, first of all, if you have, a, if, even if you have a family support, when you go in, 30 years later. Yeah, it's not the same. <laughs> right? right? Uh, yeah. Um, and so it, the, the, the state really still depends a lot on family support. Yeah. And a lot of these families are, um, you know, dysfunctional mm-hmm. uh, and maybe have their own issues or, you know, maybe struggling with poverty themselves. How are they yeah. going to support somebody else? Especially somebody they've been supporting, you know, because uh, in prison, because in order to survive in prison in Georgia, you have to have family support. Yeah. Wow. Right. Because they do not make any money. Um, from their labor. They're required to work, but wow. they don't um, make any money. Um, yeah, there's right. a few programs, there's a few things that you can apply to while you're in prison. Um, and then hopefully some people will be able to go to the transition center, be able to work. Mm-hmm. The transition center will help them get a job. Hopefully they'll be able to keep that job so they'll have a job. But some people, a lot of people will go to these transition centers that are in you know, across the state from where they're actually going to parole out to. Mm -hmm. So housing and jobs are a huge issue. And there's not, there's, has crept up again in the last last few years, some more reentry type programs, mostly for men, Mm -hmm. um, to help them with jobs, help them with training. The state is is putting more money into, you know, training, like becoming welders and, 
things that are actually kind of high paying yeah um or where, where they can get a living wage but mm. um it's it's very difficult i mm. had say say probably 80 percent of the students that i've seen come out have a very tenuous housing situations yeah and some of them are even the ones that stay in the housing they should not be yeah there, there. it's a dangerous place for them yeah. so that's unfortunate we do not have the capacity to deal with housing or jobs we do have a re-entry project where the students come come back and they write plays about their struggles with re-entry mm-hmm. and then we tour those shows to universities to help you know then that's more of a humanizing kind yeah. of thing yeah. and we're able to pay them a little bit for that but yeah. you know it's not a um a, you know we pay them a living wage but it's not enough hours mm-hmm. we can't provide enough hours for yeah, them to yeah. make you know a living from yeah. that and we're working on a coalition with other folks that teach inside to um, launch a reentry coalition where we can offer more things such as mm-hmm. and including therapy and things like that yeah. and opportunities so people can um, you know stay a network and um, a positive network with each other mm-hmm. and yeah. figure out some partnerships around housing yeah wow. so we had one of our neighbors got locked up for armed robbery mm-hmm. a male uh, undocumented male and I was visiting him for maybe a year a year and a half just um, just to support and we found that there were so many especially with that population just so many barriers to even mm-hmm. seeing and, and caring for your family and I was doing it I think once a week sometimes every other week and it completely took me out like mm-hmm. I would visit him for an hour and then that was no good to anybody for a couple days mm-hmm. so you're exposed to like this these kind of like systemic mm-hmm. injustices and their very personal consequences mm-hmm. all the time when it comes to uh reading like mm-hmm. what role does that play in your mm-hmm. life is it something that i know when i'm in the middle of something i actually find it hard to read about that topic mm-hmm. because i'm already exhausted mm-hmm. on that mm-hmm. but yeah. what role does that play in your life well that has shifted a little bit you know mm-hmm. so at first i was you know so hungry to figure out what was going on you know like mm-hmm. one part of my i think uh I don't know if it's a therapy or a psychosis is that I intellectualize things, you know, it mm-hmm. helps me process what's going on by like reading a similar account of that. Or, you know, to help to think through it. Yeah. Um, I think at some point, you know, once you become kind of the expert in that thing, that becomes less helpful to you. Yeah. For example, um, I'm very involved with um, anti-death penalty work. Mm, yeah. So I appreciate Brian Stevenson's Just Mercy book. Mm. I couldn't get through it. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. I'm like, I've heard these stories, yeah. you know, over and over again. I really hope this has a great impact on a lot of people. Yeah. Right? But, mm-hmm. you know, none of this is news for me. Mm-hmm. In that same sense, you know, some of my students are like, um, that are in, um, a college program that have access to more media set you know like you should watch 13 you should watch 13 mm-hmm. i'm like i know what it says <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah i heard it 10 right. know, 10 different ways right. I've, I've heard that story mm-hmm. yeah. you know um yeah. oh yeah but um on the other hand i think really 
what has I've shifted to, you know, because for years I did want to read everything about prisons. I yeah. wanted to read everything about the criminal justice system. Right now I'm reading, um, there's a lot of, of black, uh, younger black feminist uh, writing coming out mm-hmm. about activism. And I'm reading every one of those books. Mm, like, awesome. you know, as soon as they come out. Yeah, and awesome. it's, uh, you know, this idea of, you know, how to emerge myself in that language, how to, yeah. and, and I tell people, I don't do this work as an ally. Yeah. You know, I uh, feel very invested, you know, like with my own family history and not just my father, but, you know, cousins and, and stuff like that. I feel, you know, that, um, and, you know, myself growing up in poverty, seeing how these things, you know, that the other, others are treated within the criminal justice system being yeah. uh, gender nonconforming, mm-hmm. you know, that um, this system is sweeping up huge populations that people don't even realize that, yeah. you know, one of my students calls uh, the invisible community. Mm. Uh, oh. And that, uh, so that's really where I am is like really thinking through these, you know, uh, more activist uh, movement books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Know, how do we, uh, and, and I see right now that, you know, black feminists are the ones really writing about that mm-hmm. and writing about it well. Yeah. Can yeah. You, what are a few names or ideas that have inspired you? Right. So I, I actually pulled it up on my, when I say read, I mostly right now because I'm in PhD school if it's not um, listen to so you know uh, really the unapologetic by Carlene uh, Carruthers was really great and influential I really love eloquent rage uh, by Brittany mm. Cooper okay. um, I think that um, has been very it's helped me a lot you know, and I'm right now still getting through white fragility. These, no matter how much you work to be anti-racism as a white person, you know, there's still parts of these books that, you know, it just makes you feel uncomfortable. And I think it's important (laughs) to do that because it's important to say, why am I uncomfortable right now? Why is this making me uncomfortable? Mm. Why am I pushing back against this? What is it? Yeah. That's making me uncomfortable and what do I need to work on because it's making me uncomfortable. Yeah. You know. That's right. So. That's awesome. That's a process. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, feel a... like, I feel like there's this initial barrier like when we think of race we think of like somebody that we know who mm-hmm. you know has animosity towards a different race. Our uncle on yeah, Facebook. Exactly. <laughs> but realizing that there's so much more like mm-hmm. you can think oh I'm not racist cuz I don't feel this way mm-hmm. but how yeah mm-hmm. how systemic and how foundational it is. Right. Yeah. And realizing we're all, we're all playing racist. a part in it. We're yeah. all involved. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. someone on a cup few mm-hmm. podcasts ago. That's like mm-hmm. the super cooked in the white right. supremacy, you know. Yeah. And I thought that was such a great way of mm-hmm. putting it. Like, mm-hmm. and so it's going to be uncomfortable because I feel like, and there are a lot of ways where I think like mm-hmm. that we're no, you know, we don't feel this way. But then realizing, oh no, like I'm entrenched in it. Like yeah. I'm. All, we were it's raised all to be that. Yes. We were raised yeah. in white supremacy to be white supremacist, mm-hmm. and it's important to remember that. Yeah. And to you know constantly, it's a it's a. I don't believe in a utopia. I don't believe there's any, you know, we're ever going to get to anything. Yeah. I believe it's a constant becoming. 
mm-hmm. and that yeah. um, it's a lifelong journey, you know, yeah. and that we're gonna gonna mess up. And in class, sometimes, you know, the students say, um, "That's a little bit racist," <laughs> and sometimes I say, "Yeah, it was." Whoa! And sometimes I go, "No, it wasn't," because this, you know, like yeah, yeah. for example. We were rehearsing the play, and I said, oh, a black person wrote that line, and now a white person is saying it, and we need to not have that happen. Mm-hmm. And they said, oh, that's, a, that's racist. And I was like, we're not going to be able to explain <laughs> to the audience yeah. <laughs> how yeah. this happened. Mm-hmm. They're just going to see a white person say those mm-hmm. words, and it's not going to read well. Yeah. So we need to make sure that that doesn't mm-hmm. happen. And yeah. so, so that was an example of being like, no. And, but there's other times where I've been like, oh yeah, that I'm really sorry. Yeah. I didn't even think about that in that mm. moment, you know? Wow. Yeah. So yeah. it's a constant process. Yeah. Of <laughs> confession. <laughs> can you share that? This might be kind of, as we're kind of mm-hmm. more towards ending things, but just, I, I don't know, hearing you talk, I feel like what you, you know, there's a lot of, as you as you kind of dive into like you know mm-hmm. the criminal justice system, all these mm-hmm. things, it could be so kind of overwhelming and mm-hmm. um, very almost I mean just depressing, right? Just frustrating. Yeah. Are there things that's happening right now, whether in the U.S. or or just um, what you're seeing that kind of is giving you hope or is keeping you going? Um, that may be a tough. <laughs> <laughs> maybe not see that's the thing no I'm asking this almost for me I'm like come on there's got to be some hope out there. I you <laughs> know not. I don't think I can really uh, I'm yeah. hopeful mm-hmm. but I'm also really anxious yeah you know absolutely. and I think that right now in this time and place I'm just overall anxious yeah and yeah. there's just a I, I feel like a lot of rage and mm. I I think that's something to pay attention to, too, is like this rage that has notched up a different level. And I wonder, are there, you know, I know there are communities have lived with this kind of rage for Mm. generations. And how have they done this? Yeah. (laughs) You know, how have they continued, you know, to function? We've got to figure out a way to function and fight back. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, I... Oh, and even saying that, I do think it is hopeful that more young folks um, are interested in becoming involved yeah. in changing the criminal justice system. I think, you know, the Pell Grants are hopefully um, a positive thing um, that we are actually, you know, anytime we take a community and make them not so invisible and actually start trying to have some compassion around mm-hmm. them, then um, I think that's positive. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, but it's a long road. Yeah. And I think that's one of the most frustrating things is that it's a very long road. Mm-hmm. And I would say, cause you keep talking about things we live with. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, my first two years I would cry you know, almost all the way home. Yeah. And I lived an hour and a half away. (laughs) (laughs) That's a lot of tears. That's a lot of tears. But um, really what um, I'd say too is, you know, because I think we, I personally have uh, suffered from secondary trauma. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people are starting to kind of feel that. And uh, so... 
We need some really good psychologists, I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, you, you mentioned people are interested in getting involved. If, if there are people listening that mm-hmm. may not have known about you, about your organization before, and how can they reach out? How can they find mm-hmm. you online? Where right. does it connect? So our website is... Um, www.reformingarts.org and yeah. that's reforming uh, R-E-F-O-R-M-I-N-G mm-hmm. arts and then of course uh, the same name on um, Facebook I believe we have a Tumblr account mm-hmm. I don't know these things anymore no, no. <laughs> <laughs> totally. we have luckily reached a point where I'm just like make this thing happen and yep. people younger than me make it happen <laughs> <laughs> because they understand what's going on Mm -hmm. so just search tumblr and see (laughs) if anything comes up good luck out there listeners (laughs) no i am sure we have it it used to be our blog you know a blog on a different thing and it would all switch to tumblr but um that you know that's how to find us and um we are constantly looking for volunteers Mm -hmm. and people that are really passionate about this yeah Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for mm-hmm. joining us yeah. today. Yeah. Thank you for the work you do. I hope uh, I hope that um, you know that we've been inspired by it, that yeah. we're excited about what you're doing, and um, hopefully our community of listeners will mm-hmm. check, check out what's going on, and there will yeah. be some who can get involved. Mm-hmm. Um, we also want to thank Atlanta Vintage Books for providing a space for conversations like yeah. this to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. We just we're grateful that you came out it's good to be in person with someone and have Mm -hmm. a conversation like this so um so we're thankful to atlanta vintage books for providing the space and it's great to be surrounded by books a lot Mm -hmm. of a lot of good and relevant readings Mm -hmm. uh here here as well um if you come into atlanta vintage books and uh you've listened to this podcast and you want to check it out and you collect your big pile of books because that's what we do (laughs) we're book people um on your checkout just say uh you came in because you heard tim and ian and they'll give you a little discount on your uh 10 discount on your final purchase so um take advantage of that awesome and of course if you want to get in touch with us or reach out or find us we're at what are you reading podcast.com and from there you can find us on facebook twitter kind of everywhere you know just kind of kind of go there that's our hub where you can find other ways to see what we're up to um we always love um getting reviews and ratings from itunes that kind of helps us get seen get noticed so we really appreciate that a lot and uh, we're just we're always grateful for for uh, for just uh for you that you're listening we really it really means a lot and uh we always love to hear from you so i guess that's it we're going to end with a book quote all right this is from barry lopez he says everything is held together with stories that is all is holding us together stories and compassion